Welcome to episode 7. Thank you for joining me again. Well, I don't know what the weather's like where you are in the world, but where I'm sat today, the sun is shining. It's glorious. And there are daffodils and there's blossom in the trees. Spring has finally sprung. I'm so happy to see it. A little bit chilly, but the sun is shining and there are very few clouds in the sky. So welcome spring. And that means summer's on the way. So um, I did briefly sit on a beach the other day uh, in a t-shirt. So uh, definitely a sign that spring is happening. I'll explain why I was on a beach a bit later on. Um, it was only briefly. It wasn't on holiday. It was in the UK, in Kent. Anyway, I digress. So first of all, um, thank you for joining again. Please keep subscribing if you haven't subscribed already. And you know other people who are listening who haven't subscribed already. Get them to subscribe. Let's get those numbers up. Um, share it. Um, it's, it's wonderful that it's expanding. The audience is expanding and people are enjoying it absolutely in every nook and cranny around the world. So uh, keep listening, please. Um, I had a friend the other day who listens to the podcast, who actually hadn't listened to, to the podcast, had been saving up the podcast for flying long distance, long haul flights. So I can only say that uh, I was told afterwards that long haul flights were useful as far as the flights and that I was good company on those flights. Um, so even if I'm just helping you snooze, listen in. Anyway, thanks again for joining. So uh, a couple of other thanks. I'd like to thank Menno from last week. A lot of people really enjoyed that. A lot of people found you really funny and really sympathised with him. So um, we will definitely have him back. Um, he has lots to say, as we know, um, and uh, we'll get him back to talk more in the near future. Um, same with Kieran. Um, people are still contacting me regarding that podcast and saying how much they enjoyed it and how refreshing and lively it was. Um, so that's that's good to hear um, and really enjoyed kind of listening to our, our differing, differing opinions, even though our opinions aren't so different, but our differing time frames, shall we say. So that's been wonderful. So thank you again to those boys. And we have more guests coming up, so don't worry. Today's going to be a solo one. Um, there's a few things I want to talk about. I want to talk a bit more about, I'm going to talk about San Francisco and my time that I've spent there over the years and what it means to me and Tales of the City, which is a very important part of my life. The book Tales of the City by Armistead Morpin. We'll come to that later. Um, and many other bits and pieces. Um, but today... I'd like to start off just with my recommendations. And this week's recommendations are two things. An album by a band called Hon, or Hone. I say Hon. I think they say Hon. Anyway, it's spelled H-O-N-N-E. And the album is called Warm on a Cold Night. And it's wonderful. Um, it's very reminiscent of Hall and & Oates. And if you don't know Hall & Oates, then Google them, YouTube them. Um, there is a song called I Can't Go For That. Open brackets, no can do, close brackets. Have a look at that. Um, they're wonderful. But it's reminiscent of that, but they're a they're an updated now version of them. Um, it's very soulful. It's very funky. It's very danceable. Um, it's just a clever lyrics and there's a lot of kind of synth used, but it's... And I'm going to use this word a lot. I can feel it because I, I keep using it in conversation recently. But they're very charming. And I mean that in the best possible way I like when things are charming. So they're charming. Listen to that. Discover that. Um, they are, uh, origin-wise, they are 
uh, West Country, um, and now they're based in East London, so it's a West Country, East London mix of soul and funk. <laughs> um, but yes, wonderful album. The next thing is a TV show that I didn't expect to enjoy, that I ended up absolutely lapping up, and Keith and I sat and watched in one sitting the other day. Is uh, It's called Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, and it's on Netflix, and I believe also in the US, also on BBC America. Um, it's based on a book by Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, and it stars Samuel Barnett and Elijah Wood um, playing... Uh, Samuel Barnett plays Dirk and Elijah Wood plays Todd. And it's kind of a... Again, it's charming. Charming, there we go. I knew it was going to happen. Um, it's a charming piece. It's a kind of time travel and a murder mystery sort of comedic. Um, it's lots of fun. Um, I can only recommend it. Go and watch that probably in one sitting certainly we did um i do want to give more give more theater reviews but i've been so busy with one thing and another that i've not been able to kind of go to anything that's been i haven't been anything for a while and i want to start reviewing some theater because that's what i it's my my life and soul um but as i'll explain shortly uh there have been reasons that i've not been able to go and do too much that partly because of work and I've been filming and recording and, and, and having a social life, which has been great. Um, but also um, the, there's been a family issue, which I'm going to talk a little bit about honestly and openly for the first time today. Um, don't worry, it's not going to be depressing, but I do feel it's something I should share because I usually share everything. Um, and finally, jumping ahead, the mentioning the weather and the reason I was on a beach so to escape this family issue it's been pretty it's just been a bit traumatic for us all um, we're all okay um, but I needed to escape and our friends Peter and Paul own a beautiful house down in Margate which is a seaside town in Kent in the UK um, have a look on a map if you're not from the UK um, it's currently kind of I suppose people would say it's undergoing urban regeneration I guess that's what you'd call it um so it's it's a kind of a town that's coming back to life um it was very popular in the in the f well it, well 40s 50s 60s um and then package holidays started happening people started traveling elsewhere for the holidays people are now staying a lot in the uk for various reasons so i think margate will will keep booming and lots of people are moving down there it's become very cool and trendy so anyway we were staying there um, um, thank you to them for letting us have the keys to their house uh, to escape. And on one of our days there, we walked across the coast. There's a big Viking coastal trail that follows around the coast from Margate to a place called Broadstairs. Um, they're quite different. Broadstairs is a lot more a kind of a village by the sea um, and a little bit kind of calmer. Margate's sort of cool and funky, I suppose. Uh, nowadays and Broadstairs is just nice and chilled out nice meals and pubs and the beach a nice cozy bay um, so we went and sat on the beach in Broadstairs in the sunshine in t-shirts and I can only recommend if you're visiting from anywhere in the world 
if even if you're coming from Australia and you want to see something of traditional British seaside town, go to Broadstairs. It's not that far out from London. I think it would take you probably two hours to get from the centre of London out to there, maybe less. Um, recommend that. Um, and if you're in the UK, get yourself down there in the summer. Uh, or maybe maybe sooner than summer and maybe if not summer then after the summer when it's going to be a little bit quieter because I think I have been in the summer and it's a little bit more crazy-tastic but anyway those are my recommendations for this week and now we're going to move on to the thing that I've been meaning to talk about for a long time and that family issue so the family issue that's the one that we're talking about now um Yes, so I'm just going to jump straight to it, really. So the family thing. I mean, it's not something that... I don't want to depress anyone, because um, that's not what we're here to do. I am here to uh, keep you informed. But I have had listeners who've said they enjoy my, well, my honesty and uh, and my relative frankness. So I'm going to go ahead and discuss this very briefly. I don't want to dwell on it for too long. But um, it's been such a major part of who I am in the last four years of my life. So, I'm going to jump in. Um, basically, my mother has vascular dementia. Um, and it's probably been four years of decline. Um, but two years ago, it, it basically, it took a drastic decline. Um, I was rehearsing for this big, exciting show in, in central London. Um, and I had to drop out because things were a mess my family were a mess my parents were in a mess my mother was uh the dementia was was uh worsening in basically in steps vascular dementia worsens in in steps rather than a kind of a slower decline which some forms of dementia have i've now discovered there are lots of different forms of dementia my uh, vascular dementia is a it kind of uh, yeah it goes down in in kind of drastic jumps rather than a, a slope shall we say um, so my father wasn't coping. He was falling apart, trying to care for my mum. I mean, they had a part-time carer who would come in and do, who would uh, help clean and feed and wash um, a couple of times a day uh, at one point. Um, but it just it just wasn't enough, and my father couldn't cope. Um, and and basically, it got too much for me as well, um, because the mother that I sort of known wasn't there anymore so essentially I was grieving even though there's a human being that looks like my mum and had uh glimpses at this point still of my mum it just wasn't essentially she'd gone so I was grieving but there was still a, a human being there that needed caring and that looked like your mother looked my my, my mother um and so yeah so so it was it was I was dealing with grief essentially. Um, and I wasn't dealing with it particularly well. Um, this led me to have a panic attack. Um, and, you know, I was falling apart myself. And Because no one teaches you how to deal with something like this. I mean, grief in any shape or form is, is never going to be easy for any of us. And it happens to all of us at some point in our lives. But this this particular form of grief that I've gone through is completely different to others because the person still like I say the person is still there and so you can't completely uh, s sort of go through the process 
I think I have done a lot, um, and I have to say, mindfulness has really aided my recovery. Because, um, essentially, to explain the story very quickly, I was in the shower one morning getting ready to go to a rehearsal of this show and was feeling overwhelmed by the world already. Um, had had a rehearsal the day before where I just couldn't focus and I just didn't want to be there. And it it's... It was totally the the thing I wanted to be doing, but somehow it wasn't. Um, and I was in the shower, and I had a panic attack, and uh, Keith had to had to talk me down. Um, and long story short, I've since gone through. A, uh, I went through a process of um, CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, and that was really really useful. Uh, mindfulness, as I say, getting back to that again was and kind of um, employing all the techniques that I'd learned with that to a fuller extent um, and yeah but anyway sadly I had to leave that job um, and it was that point that I thought I actually I need to it was kind of restructure life rebuild everything and start again so that was kind of the process I went through um, it's time to kind of turn a page really I mean it's such a it's such a cruel disease. Um, it's it's I. That's something I must say. If anyone is going through anything with a with a family member uh, that's similar, uh, and uh, especially in this uh, in the in the world of um, Alzheimer's and dementia, if you do want to talk to me, please feel free to contact me. Um, I you you know I think I've said before you can find me on Twitter at Kelly Matt. Um, and uh, we'll, uh, if you follow me, follow you, and then I can direct, we can direct message back and forth. Um, uh, there is also my website, mattiankelly.com, um, and you can contact me through various means on that as well. So p please feel free to do that, because I would like to be able to help others. Uh, anyway, going back to, I want to get through this just to explain. Um, so I was kind of getting myself better, but I was still helping uh, my parents, my my f my father, and my uh, help my sister who was also going through grief. Um, anyway, my, my my father couldn't cope. There was one particular day where it just got too much, and I was with them, and I I called a halt on it and said, right, enough. She needs to be in care, and she needs to be in care today. And so I essentially went about making that happen, which, trust me, is not an easy um, deal. It's it's one of the most difficult things emotionally and technically. Um, but anyway, again, long story short, we got her in for respite care, which means, you know, she was just going in on a temporary basis, which then turned into her being there ever since. Um and uh, so yeah so so she, she's she's still in this place um and she's been there since january last year and it's been rocky i'm not going to say it's not been rocky i mean there's been issues staffing due to funding issues within the care system that anybody in the uk is aware of and you probably have read about if you're not i mean the, the nhs and the care system which are separate things um th th there are so many positives there are so many negatives and all the negatives are due to 
essentially to staffing and training issues, which comes with funding, which comes with politics, which I'm not going to talk about right now because there is something to talk about there. And I think I have a guest coming up who may have a few thoughts on that anyway. Um, but she's been there and then to the place she's currently in, she's been in this uh, in this building because there's three buildings together in this particular building, a part of the home since summer last year. And the staff have been absolutely tremendous and really sensitive to her needs um at this point i also have to say the people around me and this is important to anyone who goes through this having keith having my partner he's been an incredible support he will be embarrassed about me saying this but he really has been and i can only there's you know my thanks i can't thank him enough um not quite sure where i would have been without his support um, also, again, there's my uh, my brother-in-law, Martin. Hello, Martin. Um, and all my friends and colleagues. Um, my sister and I sitting in the pub and just drinking too much wine and talking through it. That's been important. All the things you have to do, as long as you've got a support network. If you don't have, then I think it would be really tough. I can't imagine. I feel so much sympathy for people who don't have that. But um, anyway... Um, last week, my mother developed an infection, like a virus, and she was she really wasn't responding in the home, so she was raced to hospital, put into A and E, and we had a whole week of her being pushed and prodded and put and moved and pushed from ward to ward. Um, and I'm amazed she's survived. She's basically where we are at the moment. She's on her last legs. They've cleared her infection. She's uh, having a, a morphine patch, which is uh, any pain she has. Um, she's she's sort of uh, we've been told that she's in her last stages and so to be really honest we are waiting for the inevitable to happen um but she's much more comfortable she's out the hospital but we did see her i'd never seen it was watching a human being in so much pain um physical pain because of uh, organs failing um and lungs full of water just just horrendous anyway she's now out of pain she's back in the care home around the things and the people that she's used to and the environment she's used to and so it's it's good and she's in the best place um i also wanted to explain all this because they're the reasons i've delayed podcast was one because of this uh the delay in last week's podcast and in case there's another delay in a podcast in the meantime um i know i don't have to explain myself but i do want to um as it's part of my life so if i do dip out and i lose a week Apologies, but you now know why. Um, there's been a lot of retrospection in my podcast recently, but that's kind of what happens when, when a family member has dementia, and it can be a really slow and pain, painful process, as I said. But anyway, um, I have noted down, obviously you can search for your resources yourself, but I just want to say, re- re- reiterate that it's there, um, is www alzheimers.org.uk it's a good place for a lot of resources and it's a good place to start it's not necessarily the answer to all your questions but it has you can go off into different avenues to find the right well help because there aren't really any answers but the right help for the particular type of dementia that your family member has and essentially the the lesson learned here is you know is uh, you have to live life and you have to live in the moment and that's kind of the mindfulness thing again but it's really really important um and i've realized that now more than ever um and again as i say if anybody wants to chat about it please contact me um via those means um and i hopefully i haven't depressed people because 
I'm not, I'm not, I don't think, I'm not actually depressed anymore. I, I, I have moments of sadness and moments of anger when she's in pain, but right now we kind of, I know she's comfortable and she's peaceful and that's all you can ask for. Um, so anyway, I wanted to share it and I will keep you posted as things progress. Um, it's been sad because I've had to lose, I mean, the, the kind of practical things as well. I've lost work again. It, it, since losing that job in town, um, everything had kind of been okay. And I managed to keep life and work going and actually become quite fruitful. Start a podcast, for instance. Um, I lost I lost teaching work, um, so decent money there, and I, because I was sitting by a bed waiting for my mother to, to pass, essentially. Um uh, I lost a short film that was going to be lots of fun. Um, I don't regret. It's just, you know, you have to, these things, you, you have to do these things. And sometimes work suffers um, anyway. And sometimes podcasts may, may be a little bit late. Anyway, I'm going to talk about uh, more fun things. And we're going to jump back in time now. And we're going to jump all over the place. And I just want to talk about a lot of shows I've been in and a lot of cities that I've because people keep asking me to talk more about the have said we would like to expand more on how you met Keith your uh, your travels in the US you seem to spend lots of time in the US yes I have so I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to talk about various shows that have been important in my life there's a lot so I'm going to start on that now um, but again please feel free to contact me on any of those thoughts on Alzheimer's or dementia in the meantime so yes uh, in case you haven't realised, I am. I keep taking breaks today. I don't normally do that because I don't like doing that because I like to keep things flowing. But I've I've just stopped, not because I was sad, um, but just needed to breathe for a moment and uh, fetch a cup of tea. So that's what I did. So I'm having a cup of tea with you people. Hello, back again. Anyway, um, so yes, so things I, I I want to sort of talk about today. Um, I suppose there are. There are a few bits and pieces, but, you know, we've gone through, we've talked about, um, we kind of talked up to my years doing What's Wrong With Angry and uh, and going into the world there. And I'm going to skim through some stuff because, you know, we touch on things and I'll go back to things in conversations with other people. So I don't want to uh, do it too chronologically. So today it's just kind of thoughts and and uh, I've just literally scribbled a bunch of things that I wanted to share, um, moments of stuff and places I've been and Keith and I and shows I've been in that have meant a lot and shows I've written that have meant a lot. So we're going to kind of cover a bit of that today. Um, I have to thank um, things that covered me post uh, post the uh, drama school, um, lost theatre world, all that. Um, I kind of did throw myself really into being a gay man. And there were some clubs. I have to thank a man called Simon Hobart, who's sadly no longer with us, um, who created a club called Pop Stars. Now, Pop Stars was, uh, was the perfect club for me because it was in the mid-90s and Britpop was happening and I was fully... Well, not fully immersing myself, but I loved a lot of it. Um, so there was a, it was, it was playing. It was the one kind of at that point. It was the one. Others grew pretty quickly after that. But it was the main, what the main club that was playing, gay club that was playing Britpop, bit pop, Britpop. So Blur and um, Suede and all that stuff. Um, and uh, as the club grew and expanded, I went to bigger, bigger buildings. 
um, they had other rooms. They'd have one room that was 80s and trash, so you could have the fun and you could play all the 80s music, which, of course, I loved. So I was reliving my 80s moments, the Britpop moments on the main floor. And then there was um, there was an R&B uh, kind of funk floor um, that played stuff you wouldn't necessarily hear in other clubs as well. Um, and so I loved that place, and I have to thank him and that club major parts of my life just want to give you the london history um then there was also a club called queer nation um which was uh was kind of some of the music they were playing in the r&b room at pop stars but also really deep house and and uh, I absolutely it was more you sort of dressed up a bit more to go there and it was in brixton when i was going um i can't remember the name of the club now substation south i think it was in that doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's now uh, occasional in Vauxhall, but Queer Nation was great. And I probably need to go back there, bad knees or not, um, because the music was amazing. Um, so yes, so uh, mentioning a few things like that. I mean, and I, where I've lived in London, I've, I've lived all over London, West Kensington, Battersea, Clapham, um, uh, Walthamstow, Lewisham. I currently live in a place called Blackheath in South East London. So if... Uh, Listeners from afar would like to look on a map. Have a look. It's where the London Marathon starts, and it's right next to Greenwich Park. And I love it. It's beautiful. It's a, got a villagey feel, and it's the place that I'm happiest in in London. So Blackheath and Greenwich. So have a look on a map. <laughs> um, and even if you live somewhere else in the UK and you don't really know where it is, have a look. Or maybe even in London. Some people don't know where it is. But anyway, I digress. Um so yeah there was uh that was the period kind of the 90s mid 90s to late 90s i suppose we're covering really um and i was still doing bits and pieces and i was i worked as i've said before i worked as a barman at rent i was a shoeshine boy at one point um i had all sorts of random jobs um there was a period of about six months where i i just immersed myself in being a gay man and was going to be an author because I'd read Tales of the City, which we'll come to in a bit. But I was convinced I was going to write the big next uh, the British gay novel. Um, I may still, but uh, it. Uh, so there was a period of time of, of what I sort of not wasted. It wasn't wasted time. But anyway, various jobs. Um, I did a play called Picnics and Pack Lunches. Um, which was uh, which was fun, and we toured around Essex. I remember playing one night in a gay club in South End. I'm not sure if it exists anymore, but yeah, um, and feeling very popular with the boys and girls of South End that night. Um, did that, um, goodness me, I'm not going to be able to cover everything I've done as far as jobs, so I'm not gonna try and do that. Um, but things that come to mind, um, there was, there was always uh, the, the creative thing was always there and I always felt I needed to, to to find ways to fulfill that so say so I did kind of have a lull from acting um, and there was just earning money um, but I never stepped away from it completely and I was still with my friends who were in the business um, and I kind of again that I don't regret doing that but I wish I'd sort of stayed even though six months isn't long um, and, and anyone can do it and I think now it wouldn't be a bad thing for me to do and I, you can come and go from the industry I think probably easily as a, as, as a, as a man as you get older I don't know um, but anyway so covering lots of ground here um, but yeah so Tales of the City 
let's go there because that's going to lead me to San Francisco. Tales of the City, uh, I read for the first time in uh, I want to say ninety three. Um, I read I read half a book and was falling in love with it, and then uh, the t- then Channel Four turned it into a television show, into a into a mini series. And then I had the characters on TV, and they were just as I had imagined them. Some brilliant actors. Laura Linney did her first, well, not her, probably not her first job, but one of her first jobs, one of her most prominent jobs, playing a character called Marianne Singleton, um, who was the main protagonist at the beginning of the stories. Um, we follow her moving from Cleveland to San Francisco. Essentially, it just made me fall in love with San Francisco. Um, 28 Barbary Lane. Uh, which uh, I have been to. It's not called that in the real world, but it's called McCondry, and it's a beautiful lane in San Francisco. But Armistead Morpin, the author, who Keith and I have met, um, and is a wonderful man, I've chatted to a few times on Facebook, um, created this world. And there was this kind of... there was a, The queen of the world was this, uh, this woman called Anna Madrigal. Um, I don't want to tell you too much in case you haven't seen it or read it, so I'm not going to. I'm desperate to, but I don't want to because they are. If you haven't read them, they're superb books, and the characters are so most of the time lovable. Some of them do things that you know they're human. They're very human, um, so they're not perfect. But anyway, it was 70s and 80s San Francisco, California, Bay Area, and I fell in love with that, um, and so that led me to to going there. So I have to thank Armistead Morpin for, uh, and we did thank him when we met him for us meeting. Um, we were, it was the night listener, a book he'd written and Keith and I went to a signing and that was uh, when we talked to him. Keith had met him before at Berkeley actually, Berkeley, which is the university Keith was at, which is the reason I was going to San Francisco. So it's all joining up. You see, I, um, I had a really good friend who I dated briefly, but that really wasn't anything. But really, we should have just always been friends. And we're still friends. Um, and Brendan, his name's Brendan. We talked about him before. And he said to me, look, why don't you just come over to the US with me? I'm going back to the Bay Area, to San Francisco, to revisit Berkeley, because he'd spent a year on an exchange from Ireland uh, living there. I think it was a year, maybe more. But anyway, definitely a year. Um, and exchange studies in Berkeley. So, uh, so... I jumped at the chance and a few months later we were there and we were there for, say, nearly a month, around about a month. It was a long, three and a half weeks, something like that. Anyway, um, and I absolutely loved everything about it. The Castro is just one of my favourite places. It has changed in the last few years, but I love walking down there. I love the Castro Cinema. If you go in there, it has a big whirlitz that comes up before the shows. Um, a lot of the drag race girls perform there now and use it and do, uh, I think they did a Baby Jane uh, thing, whatever happened to Bianca Del Rio. Listeners, some listeners will know who that is. If you don't, Google Bianca Del Rio and you'll find some interesting material. She's very funny. Um, yeah, so Castro and, and the bars there, I have to recommend. There's a bar called Moby Dick's, which is a pub on a corner just off the Castro, and I love it. And whenever we go back to California and special, obviously to the Bay Area, I love going there. It's nothing special, but it's just really full of character and memories. And I, I've revisited San Francisco many times with groups of friends. Uh, we've spent New Year's Eve with a group of friends. Hello to all those friends. Um, I mentioned some of them before. Um, so hello to all those people. Um, uh, our friend Tony, who's going to be coming and being interviewed at some point, we had had a 30th birthday there for him. Um, and whenever and Keith and I are 
popping by visiting family and friends we always go there um there's a place called the midnight sun that was the video bar that always had the kind of campy golden girls abfab um uh, all sorts of stuff that you know is probably a little bit obvious but but that's it's brilliant stuff um so you can just sit and with a room of of uh, of men and women uh lip syncing along to comedy <laughs> um and it's lots of fun um there are lots of places in san francisco there's a club called the stud that i went to in 99 and loved went there a couple of times um there's another place i've been to called the end up these are famous uh san francisco sites but i can only recommend i guess i'm doing a tourist thing here as well recommending san francisco but i love the city the golden gate bridge every time we go i have to walk across it um first time i ever drove across it was i think with keith in a car and we slowed down and uh and stopped in the middle and had a quick kiss in the middle of the bridge not we didn't stop traffic but we just slowed down and um (laughs) and um the first time i saw it first time i saw the bridge was i was flying into san francisco and came through the clouds into sunshine which was bizarre but the sun was was shining anyway the sun was glinting on the bridge uh, on the iron and i just felt this feeling like i belong here and then when i got to the bridge i i i got really quite choked up and just touching the bridge for the first time walking over it it still has that effect on me i don't know i don't know why i suppose i associate associate it with tales of the city with the romance of san francisco it is a wonderful place um it has a lot of homeless people at the moment so it's not always the perfect location i mean it, there's a lot of people struggling and there's a lot of money so you have the two the money due to the silicon valley there's a lot of money there now and there's a lot of homelessness and so the two worlds don't always sit well together and uh and that's sad um and also it's a really expensive place to be and to live and I would like to think that Keith and I will have some point where we do go and live there. At the moment, the way things are in that particular country, we're not planning to go anytime soon. But hopefully, in a decade's time, um, plans have been delayed. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful place. Um, other cities I have to that I've been, spent a lot of time in Seattle. Um, we have uh, friends and family in the in that part of the world in washington state and so we spent a lot of time in seattle i love seattle uh, another place that i feel very comfortable in um a bit more rainy than san, even though san francisco is pretty rainy seattle's really quite rainy but i don't mind that being in a different city and um we spend a lot of time in a place called spokane hello to the people in spokane if you're listening um and i spent my birthday there last year and had lots of fun um so yeah and then and then oh my goodness and then i I cannot i cannot not mention vancouver is now probably may might even be pitching uh beating san francisco to the number one slot for place to live oh my goodness it has the mountains the sea the city it's just superb um every time i've been the weather's been we've been lucky the weather's been really good i know the weather can be a bit rough there but if people who listen to this through soundcloud and you've ever wondered what the um what the cover picture is behind me that is the Lionsgate bridge in vancouver there's always a bridge i love that bridge as well it's a similar structure to the golden gate there's something about those bridges anyway i've just realized that wow uh, Lionsgate bridge um beautiful um 
and uh, Stanley Park. Oh my goodness, this beautiful place that is within walking distance of, of the city centre. Everything's fairly walkable. Um, I, 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 I don't know there, there, if there are ways and means. I think everybody wants to live in Canada at the moment, but that I, I love Vancouver. That's all I'm trying to say. Go there. Go to Vancouver. Um, I've been to New York. I love New York. I've been to LA and I love bits of LA. Um, there are so many. Yeah, there's a lots and lots of places I still want to go to. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to do that without too many problems in the near future. Anyway, moving on away from America. I love it. America and Canada. Thank you very much for all the wonderful times. Um, I suppose I really have to... Yes, so in San Francisco, I met Keith, and I've said already, we were in a club, 1984, and we basically agreed for him to come and try and live in the UK. Now, that's the story there, is this was before civil partnerships. This is before um, marriage, uh, gay marriage. We had to go through this process for him to stay here. He had to initially get a temporary leave to remain. Um, so he came over on a student visa, uh, after Berkeley, and then, uh, and then we, and then we kind of had to fight for him to stay here. From that point onwards, uh, he now has permanent leave to remain, and once we get married, uh, which we're going to be doing this time next year, um, we he can uh, apply for full citizenship and have a British passport, and he can have dual pop. He'll have a dual passport scenario, which is great. So that's kind of where we're going with that, but. As I say, at this point, that wasn't an option. So we had to go through this process, which meant we both had our passports taken away from us. Longer than we needed to, we discovered later down the line. But for two and a half years, I think, we didn't have passports. Um, it might have been longer, but I, I know, I think I feel like it's two and a half years. Uh, memory's vague sometimes. But yes, two and a half years. Um, and we handed our passports into the Home Office. We had to get letters from, 12 letters from friends telling the Home Office about how much we loved each other. We had to get letters from both sets of parents explaining why we should be allowed to be together and how much we loved each other, even though uh, our parents didn't know much about the other partner at that point. Um, we had to we had this huge file, which we still have somewhere, um, of we had to have pictures, photographs of us together on holidays, which is difficult to do when you don't have a passport. So we spent a lot of time in Scotland. Edinburgh Festival was our friend. Um, and um, and going to the Highlands uh, had some lovely times. But, you know, that was as far as we were going to go. Um, and we had to, tickets to concerts and gigs and, and uh, theatre tickets. We always had to have two of everything. So we had to keep everything. Um, which I still do, I hoard. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, we had to go through all this. And then I say, Keith had stuff going on with his family and he couldn't go back um, because we'd have to start the process over again. So, anyway, we struggled through it and we ended up, he now has um, permanent leave to remain, which at the moment, hopefully, that isn't going to be a problem um, as long as he doesn't go out of the country for too long. So, yeah, um so that's where we are but it's it's tales of the city that started all this i think is where i'm goodness i hope you're still with me <laughs> um there are so many other things um i want to talk a little bit about um the, the, the um oh yes now somebody said to me the other day 
Um, I'm surprised you haven't talked about this before. I'm just seeing I've written it as a as a as a post-it on my on the computer. Uh, Buffy, because Buffy was something that became really important part of Keith's and mine lives, our lives, Keith's and mine's. Goodness me, I'm struggling today. Um, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which had been a film, became this wonderful TV show by created by Joss Whedon, who's now Marvel's Avengers extraordinaire man um but but buffy the vampire slayer and angel it's uh it's it's um co-show um were such a huge part of when we were stuck and we didn't have the escape we escaped a lot into that world um and uh i always wanted keith to dress up like a character called zander because he did used to look a bit like him. Nicholas Brendan. Look him up. He's a very handsome chap. And not too dissimilar from Keith and Keanu. All my faves are Keith Keanu. And um, and uh, so we we love loved the show. Um, spirited spirited girl uh, fighting uh, demons and vampires. Um, and the romantic stories that happened with her and Angel. And just loved that show. If you've never watched it, do do give it a go. Um, go back to the first season uh, season five is the best but go back you need to watch the whole thing so yes Buffy was a major part to, thank you to the person who noted that Buffy was a major part of our lives to the point where we even had a Buffy themed party um, and uh, and uh, people came dressed as as, as characters um, and I went as because Dracula did appear in an episode so I went as Dracula but I looked more like a character called Dot Cotton, who's a, for people in the UK, they all know exactly what I mean. Um, but I did look more like her than Dracula, so uh, it didn't really work out. She's a character in EastEnders, a soap in the UK, uh, who works in a laundrette and smokes too many cigarettes. Or did, I don't know if she still does. Oh, anyway. Um, so yes, yeah, so Buffy was a major part, so I have to mention that. I have mentioned it now for people who said, why haven't you mentioned that? And also, of course, that did lead me into, into to the, to the world of box sets and, uh, and the thing I do now with the recommendations. So yes, my first box set properly ever was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Go watch. Um, but yeah, I have to kind of, I never underestimate how important the Tales of the City books are and how it affected my life and how things like Buffy affected my life. And so I do want to mention them. Um, I suppose uh, the other things I need to talk about really are, are I mean I've always said that I would um, I'd want to sort of uh, I'd, I'd like to go and live in the US or Canada but um, about the, the, the great things about living in the UK and some of the most wonderful things and to do that I'm going to talk a little bit about shows um, and today I'm going to talk about uh, a couple of my plays first of all um, my first play was called However Do You Want Me, which Menno was in, and he, we mentioned very briefly last week. Um, and really it was about my friends, um, that we didn't fit into the stereotypes of certain other plays were just playing, uh, that people were always uh, the super handsome, super pretty, uh, stylish, always looked immaculate. And of course, that's not necessarily reality. And me and my friends were just real people. And so I wanted to write about that. That was kind of the basis of who the characters were. But the, the premise of the story was based on truth about me and some of my friends. We were fooled by this guy that uh, he was in love with us all. I was in a theatre company. I'm not going to 
divulge too many names here because the innocent, well, or not so innocent, should probably remain protected. But anyway, um, and this particular chap convinced us all that he was in love with each one of us in different ways. And we didn't know he was playing us all off against each other. Um, and uh, he even convinced me and another friend that he had a house uh, that he'd bought for us to all live in to the point that I was handing in notices of the places I was living in and this house anyway long story short this house didn't exist the number of the street he gave he gave the street name but the, this number didn't exist on the street he was uh, yeah strange man anyway um so I was writing about that and how these characters were all affected by that person and there is kind of because it may come out again in the world. There are thoughts of uh, remixing and putting it out in the world. So I don't want to spoiler it. But yes. Um, antics ensue. And and maybe people get comeuppances. I'm not saying it's the character I'm talking about. But anyway. Uh, people really enjoyed it. And it was my first go to play. And uh, this is 2003, I believe. And it was a play at the theatre called The Hen and Chickens in Islington. And uh, yeah, and it had really nice reviews and people generally had a good time. Um, the next play, um, and also I have to thank everybody for being in that. Um, I don't want to, even though I'm talking on a podcast about myself, I don't want to dwell on my own writing. I'm happier talking about other people's plays. Um, my other play, uh which has been very very influential was my second play was called lightning strikes and uh we performed that in uh we had a reading in the pleasance in london but then we moved it on to uh this mainstay was at the dublin gay theatre festival and i had a really nice review in the irish times it's on my website i believe so have a look at that if you want to um but uh it's Basically, it was uh, it's it was two thousand and eight, yeah, and it was starring um, uh, two of my friends, uh, Tony Higgins, who was also in the Gaydar Diaries. He was playing uh, one of the leads, and then um, another friend, an actor, David Ames. For people in the UK, David is currently playing Dominic in Holby City, um, and da- and Tony writes for Holby. And Tony's written for David. Isn't that strange? They who knew that they both end up writing and uh, and that one would be writing for the other one to act. Um, but at this point, they were playing cross generational lovers, and by that I mean uh, it was set in two thousand and eight, so the present day as it was then, and then nineteen sixty eight in a bedsit in Lewisham. Now the two thousand and eight character suffered from narcolepsy, and in I'm really trying to whiz through it, but in his narcoleptic episodes he would essentially travel back to 1968 and and witness uh, the world that was going on there um and uh and the only one of the characters in 68 was able to connect with him and could see him and they f- there, there was a romance there but it was kind of so there was a romance going there was a romantic side to the story but there was also again i, I always say compare and contrast it was compare and contrast between the two time frames and the differences in law um and it was done mainly with a lot of comedy and um and then the two characters trying to explain to people in their worlds of what they were seeing and what what the character in 2008 would not tell the t- character in 68 so he didn't 
spoil what was ahead and the good and the bad um anyway uh it was it was a really i i i i loved working on that play and um patrick wilde directed it and uh say tony and david were in it my friend greg uh who we mentioned before was in it um an actor called mark fleischman who's in a show on uh children's bbc at the moment um and uh gareth who's a good friend of all of us still good friend who's touring the world at the moment in a show um and uh, a guy called Nigel. It was a really good cast and crew, and uh, my friend Pete Shaw was the producer. I have to say hi to all these people because it was a really important part of my life. Um, also, at the same time, um, oh God, there were so many shows. I suppose we're talking about the gay shows. Ah, uh, the gay shows, the gay plays. Um, at the same time, this play wasn't gay, but um, I mentioned earlier that I had to drop out of a show uh, in town uh, called Alice's Adventures Underground, and it was a... Uh, well, it's happening again this year, and I can only recommend people going and seeing it in London at a place called The Vaults, and it's playing from... I believe it's from April right through to the... Uh, September I think I'm not sure on the dates but anyway it was doing a similar point that I before I dropped out I would have been doing that run but it was with a company called Les Enfants Terribles who are a great company and I have to thank them for uh, some amazing times I've traveled the world with two of their shows uh, one in particular was a play called a play a show uh, a piece um, called The Terrible Infants and if you Google Terrible Infants, Les Enfants Terribles, it's all there. There's pictures on my website. Um, and it was puppetry and music and um, kind of Roald Dahl storytelling. And uh, we toured it to Norway, um, spent time in Norway, to, to Warsaw in Poland. Um, oh, goodness, all over the place. Um, that, that ultimately we went to Australia it took me to Australia we went to the Adelaide Festival and uh, played the month there and I lived in Adelaide for a month and it was it was just some wonderful times and some of the best people uh, one of my closest friends um, hello to Tom Gisby who's a genius musician and uh, creative who I've gone on to create a show with together on our own called Jennifer Skylark which I've talked about before that was inspired by my trip to Australia about people, um, immigration, child immigration from the UK to Australia uh, during and post uh, the war, uh, World War Two. Anyway, so yes, terrible infants, some wonderful times for those people. Um, the company is created by uh, a, a young man called Oliver Lansley, who is uh, who's a good friend and I don't see him as much anymore because he's always busy with his company. Um, but he's uh, hugely successful and played, for those in the UK, played Kenny Everett, who was a gay uh, DJ, was a pirate DJ, and then was on Radio 1, Capital Radio, Radio 1, um, and was really good friends with Freddie Mercury. And Ollie played him in a BBC adaptation and uh, was nominated for lots of awards for it. And uh, I don't know if it's still around, but have a look at it it's wonderful and it's also Kenny Everett's a wonderful character so uh, and for those who don't know him google it you'll it's worth having a look into that he was a very funny man um and uh yes anyway so these are the people um and Nicole and James these are the, these are the people I worked on this show and 
toured the world with and spent lots of time in some wonderful places. And uh, we did a few Edinburgh festivals and we were selling out uh, like a 800 seater venue in, in, in Edinburgh. And I just had, and it went on for years and years and years and I had so many wonderful times. Um, I have heard there's rumour they're going to bring it back, but probably with a younger version, with a remix cast, because people are getting older, creakier, having babies. Um, so um, I'm sure if it does go out into the world, go and see it again. Um, but also I toured, I did a play with them, a kind of a standard play that Oliver Lansley had written called Immaculate. And I got to play this character called Lucifer, as in Lucifer, as in the devil, fallen angel, at least. Um, and I had loads of fun with that. I got to wear an Alexander McQueen uh, jacket and these red heels and, and, and just got to be snipey. And it was a really well-written play. It is a very well-written play. Um, I believe it gets used a lot in drama schools now as audition speeches. And um, one of the speeches that I did, Lucifer, I've heard elsewhere in the world, which is quite strange when you've uh, sort of originated the role. Um, and toured to uh, Dubai with them. And so again, so again, did a lot of traveling around the world with these people. Um, and so, yes, thank you to them. Um, huge part of my life, huge part of my life. And I went to say, went to Australia and I discovered I went, spent the month with them. And then I had two weeks and did the first time I've ever been on my own in the world. I went out to Melbourne, travelled on a train from Adelaide to Melbourne, which was just a brilliant, on my own, which is a wonderful thing. It was because it was a 12 hour journey on a train. But I just had love. I had a few glasses of wine and just watched Australia go by. And it went inland and saw some of real Australia and and then, you know, then I ended up having a couple of weeks in Melbourne, spent time with some people there, some friends of friends, had a lovely time um, and got to go to a couple of uh, uh, gay venues in Melbourne. And just to, I didn't sort of spend a lot of time there because I was just too busy being a tourist, but just to dip in and see that world. And there was there was a, a, a gay film festival. So I went to see films at this film festival in, in Melbourne and loved Melbourne and I could go on about cities forever, but um, but anyway. So these are my travels. These are the plays that have been important. Um, I've also, I mean, my goodness, I played a character called Robbie Ross in a play called I Am Oscar Wilde, which we did in the Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe and also at a theatre in Croydon that no longer exists as a venue called the Warehouse Theatre. I think they still exist as a company, but the venues. Sadly gone because the station has been rebuilt. It was right next to the station. But Warehouse Theatre Croydon, a lot of people remember that. Um, and uh, it was it it was it was it was lots of fun. Um, I met one of my greatest friends. The chap that I was telling you about, who has the Margate House, is is Paul. He was playing Bosey in this play about Oscar Wilde, and we connected and just had. Uh, scream um, and also our friend Helen Stern who's still a friend and we still all see each other every so often um, and so yes there, there's just been so many wonderful shows and there's so many shows that I'm not going to mention because they don't need mentioning um, uh, I was in a the same company I am Oscar Wilde did I am Star Trek and I got to play Klingon and um, and uh, Patrick Stewart and um and uh, my goodness and 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 geeks at conventions and that again played all over the place london edinburgh and various different guises um 
so I, these are kind of been the influential shows that have have been important and I've made lots of friends from and I could say there's so many people in all of those shows that I'd like to say hello to but I would be here forever but essentially just to counterbalance all the negative well it wasn't negative at the beginning but talking about my experience with my mum I wanted to give some positive back anyway I've probably waffled on for hours now I haven't even been keeping a time check on this but hopefully you found this interesting entertaining informative um I'm going to be back uh, next week, I think we're hoping to have the next guest with us. As I say, hoping to get, uh, I mentioned uh, Tony Higgins, who writes Holby, and David, who is in Holby, who have both agreed to come in and be interviewed at some point. So I'm going to uh, try and get them secured soon. Um, but there are others um, who who shall remain nameless and I will just throw at you as they arrive. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Stick with me um, and we'll be back next week with more fun and games spread it share and keep subscribing thanks a lot cheers p.s there are two people that i have to mention that i didn't mention i was just going back through listening to make sure i didn't say anything untoward and i realized in two of the shows there are two people who are very important probably my closest friend and confident mr andrew Haler. Hello, sir. He has been part of everything and was part of Jennifer Skylark and the creation of that. And also um, was in my second play, Lightning Strikes, and a major part of that world. And we also were in The Temperamentals together and Lily's two other plays that I want to just bookmark and say I'm coming back to those. I haven't forgotten them, um, but shows that are really important and Google them. Um, and also, finally, uh, Miss Rachel Dawson, the uh, beautiful genius cellist and actress and singer extraordinaire who was also part of the Terrible Infants and who I saw recently. And I did just want to say thank you for uh, for some huge laughs around the world and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you soon but anyway ladies and gentlemen I'm always going to do that I'm always going to be polite to my friends so I hope you don't mind but hello to those two and properly this time see you all next week cheers thanks again